Thank you. I'm pulling my eyes out. Thank you. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Chris, have you ever been more depressed about being a Texans fan? I've never been more depressed about being a professional football fan. Like, fair you know, I, I like you. I assume I go back to the oil to the oil yeah. days. Yep. So, um, in fact, I just took off my Warren Moon jersey right before you came on. So oh. it was just a little bit. It was a little bit warm and a little bit tight. Anyway, <laughs> so no, no, I, 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 nothing really comes close. Um, I won't harp on it too much because I've said it a couple times on the show. Like I've never once, ever, even once considered giving up my fandom for a Houston team ever, never come close. This is the first time I've ever considered it. Like this is the first time it ever popped in my head that man, realistically, like, why do I do this? And it's not going to get any better anytime soon until, you know, Easter has gone. And I just don't see that happening in the foreseeable future. So no, no, nothing, nothing comes close because in all other off seasons, you know, like, like some of the others had talked about when you have a horrible season, the reward for that is, you know, a high draft pick mm-hmm. um, that you're maybe the number one overall pick. So you get that, you get that excitement. Well, we don't, we don't have that. Uh, you get the uh, excitement of a new head coach that you're excited about. Uh, no, you're not, you're not going to have that either. Sorry. No, you're not getting that. Uh, you get the excitement of, of a GM. Now I, in a vacuum, I don't hate, the Nick Casario choice at all, but I was actually actively excited about Omar Khan for that glorious 12 or 24 hours or however long it was that we heard that they were on the verge of signing him. Um, and then when the Casario thing happened, like again, had that not involved all the things that it involved, I would have thought, okay, you know, I think he could be a decent GM, even though I'm not super excited about bringing the guy, another guy from the Patriots. It just would have been because I'm sick of the Patriots thing, not necessarily for any real football reasons. But with everything that, of course, has come from that, it, it it's been it's been you know ruination. So uh, no, not not only no, but not close to the way I feel now. Like the angriest I've ever been about you know. Well, when I was a kid, like I would live and die with the Oilers. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost, it ruined my week. They won, it made my week. I'm not that way anymore. We're all adults. We have jobs. We have a lot of responsibilities. So luckily, I've been able to get away from that. Like I can compartmentalize just fine. In fact. I never really get so upset about what happens on the field. I mean, 24 zip was bad, but I also went through 35 to three in person yeah. at stadium. So I've been through that stuff. I can handle that. Like I can handle bad f- results on the field. So it's the things that happen in the off season that really upset me. I, I've never been more mad at the Texans than when they, I felt like gave away Jadeveon Clowney and then the Hopkins trade happened. And I'd never been more upset at the Texans than when they traded DeAndre Hopkins. And then all this happens with Deshaun Watson, and I've never been more angry at the Texans than than I am now with what's going on with Deshaun Watson. And like you said, like we haven't we have not reached the floor yet. So, you know, I'm just gonna keep you know checking my blood pressure daily. Um, I'm gonna keep eating better. I'm gonna be I'm gonna continue doing my my exercise and my walking that I've been like all the exercise I've been getting late. I'm gonna continue all those good habits. And you know, on the bad days, like I feel like I need to buy one of those like those like heavy bag things, mm-hmm. you know, that like stand up and you can just beat the ever living hell out of those things. I feel like I, I I need one of those. I'm just gonna like tape my my hands and my wrists up and just and just beat now that we have like capability to do this on camera, like when Deshaun Watson actually gets traded, we'll, we'll do another podcast uh, or a live stream and I'll just bloody my fist for an hour. That sounds delightful. <laughs> that may be the one thing I'm looking forward to about the Deshaun Watson trade is the, is the reaction. <laughs> the rest of it, the rest of it makes me unimaginably sad, but um, it, it's, it's, 
it's coming. I mean, it's coming. The, the thing that the thing about the Watson trade because I I think it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point. I think he, I think they're going to trade him to the Dolphins, uh, and I think they're going to trade him to the Dolphins before the first round of the draft. The thing that and, and you know and part of that is because I've read so much about how allegedly Casario loved Tua um, coming out of the draft what last year, but knew the Patriots weren't going to be able to be in a position to get him. The thing that I wonder is if if he really does love Tua, and they acquire him as part of a deal with, and you know they get they get the third overall pick, and then presumably get you know an, another one, another two to three first rounders or some twos or whatever. If they do that, and Casario really does love Tua, it almost makes it that much less likely that they spend that third pick on a quarterback, and either they trade back or they take a receiver or they take a lineman or something like that. And they give Tua a chance to be the franchise quarterback that Casario thought he could be last year. Um, so that, that's my like if you know if you if you ask me what I thought the most likely scenario, it's that they trade him to they trade him to to they trade Deshaun to Miami. Tua's a Texan. Some other draft picks. They trade back and they and then you know they they see if Tua can be a franchise quarterback next year. And if he can't, and if the team's as bad as we all think it will be. Then maybe next year they reevaluate and try to take a quarterback. Then, man, Tua, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you guys feel about Tua. He it obviously doesn't excite me. But the thing that worries me the most about that deal is that if they're if they're sending us Tua, then obviously to them that knocks <laughs> maybe two first round picks out of the deal because they because I'm sure they feel like you know any like in in the stupid NFL that we live in now. Tua could legitimately be traded for at least one first rounder. I think you know there. It only takes. That's the thing that people forget. Is he worth that? No, he hasn't shown enough to be worth that. Mm-hmm. But it only takes. It only ever takes one team to set the market on any player. One dumb team who's desperate who needs that quarterback. That's all it takes is one team to do it. So I fear that Miami would say, well, you know, as far as first round picks go, we're giving you two, and he's worth, you know, to them maybe two first round picks. So man. I I would much rather take my chances on on drafting one of these new guys, um, but I, I, yeah, it's hard for me to get excited about Tua. So so I see in the chat here, Houston football three. It seems like he proposed a, a, a potential deal. So Miami gives you both their first round picks in twenty twenty one. That's number three and eighteen overall. Twenty twenty two, they give you their first and second round picks. Twenty twenty three, they give you their first and third. They send Tua and Wilkins. You doing it? So that's one, two, th- that's four first rounders, a second, a third, Tua and Wilkins for Deshaun. I think You're I would. If, <clears throat> You're thinking about it. Yeah, I, I might do it. If nothing else, like one of the first, trade it down and get additional picks later. I mean, right. in 2021. Or 2022 build up depth. It's especially especially if you're going to bring Tua on, you trade that third overall pick to someone that wants one of those big three quarterbacks, whoever's left at three. Yeah, um, for sure. In, in fact, and, and I would say that in fact, if they do acquire Tua, you got to figure the odds-on favorite is that they trade back from three because at that point they won't be in the business of drafting a quarterback. You might as well trade it to someone who's desperate for one. And then Casario's from New England, and they made a living trading the higher picks for 
lower picks, right. but greater volume. So right. I can see that happening. And you for sure are trading Tunsil if you have a left-handed quarterback. You know, Man, I hope, I hope they should trade him. I hope. But Would yeah, you be surprised yeah. if they didn't? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> they be tried surprised. To move, and they tried to move. And they tried to move into yeah. right tackle. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out tomorrow that they traded Deshaun Watson for two second round picks. Like that's <laughs> that's how far we've fallen. There, again, there's nothing they can do at this point that would surprise me except like a competent football decision. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Carlos, would you make that trade? So I'm with Chris. I'm not really too high on Tua. Um, I think that he's been just thrown into a he was thrown into a tough situation in Miami and got beat out. Like Smooth Grandma mentions in the chat, he got beat out by Fitzmagic. I mean, it's it's a little bit of damage to his psyche, I think. And coming to Houston would be not not just asking him to like swim in the deep end, like throwing him in the deep end. It would be throwing him to a pit of lava and asking him to to survive. And so for the draft capital, I really think the deal is attractive. Tua, you bring him in, you ask him like, hey, here's your shot. It's a shitty situation, but deal with it. If he sinks or swims, that's really beyond us. Um, you could always trade back, like you said, from that third pick and really accumulate some significant capital and really try to rebuild the remainder of the roster. I think that's a really solid plan. And then two, three years down the line, then focus on acquiring a new quarterback um, to replace Tua if he fails, which would more than likely be the case. And you've got Tua on a rookie deal uh, for another few years. So, you know, it's not like it's costing you much in the way of salary. Right. if 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 all the talk about Casario really being enamored with Tua last year is true, it's hard to imagine they go in another direction unless some other team just overwhelms them with with a package that that you know no one else can touch. Um, right. I, I just think I just think Miami I just think Miami probably makes the most sense for them if they're going to trade him this year, which again I wouldn't do. But, uh, you know, I'm with Chris on this, but I, I still think that that's almost a done deal that that it happens because I, I don't think they I just don't think they have the guts to to take the the slaughter in the press and amongst the fan base and everybody else and, and having Deshaun sit out. I think they're going to be they'd rather just put it behind them, move on and say he didn't want to be here. We don't want people who don't want to be here. We got rid of him. We're looking forward, not backward. And then we're all treated to garbage football for at least the next two years. More than that understandable. Is, that is definitely the most likely scenario. And, and I mean, you know, I, I do feel bad for Nick Casario. Like he talk about a guy who's just from the beginning has no chance to succeed stepping into what he stepped into. I mean, there's, he, he can't, assuming he can't turn this thing around, if he could somehow turn this around with Deshaun, which is not going to happen, then, you know, he obviously would be a hero. But since that's not going to happen, you have this guy who is so, so qualified to be a GM in the NFL and has been for many, many years. And like right away, he just slips on the biggest banana peel, you know, you've ever seen. And, you know, like that report said about him, he's got no connections to the community. Like there's really nothing else that brought him here other than, you know, Easterby trying to save his job. So, uh, and $30 million. Uh, yeah, that helps a lot too. Man, that, and that was kind of a shocking figure to me. Like, I, like Cal has never been one to shy away or well, Texans in general have never been one shy about spending money right. and getting rid of guys and still paying them, which is great. Which to me is like, 
you want to talk about like a realistic scenario where this could be saved. I don't believe that Cal selling the team is the only thing that could save this. I think what it would take though, would be Cal going to Deshaun and being like, I screwed up. I know what's happening now. I I'm going to, Jack is gone. I'm going to fire David Cully. I'm going to, if you want me to, I will fire Nick Casario and I will eat all that money that I owe them. I mean, he's a billionaire, right? Or he's like at least the steward of, you know, uh, billionaire money. Eat all that money. Like just, just completely roll over. And, you know, I think that sadly that's the only scenario I think where this can actually be salvaged, which obviously is not going to happen. But I mean, it, it, you know, they, they made their bed. They made their bed and it's too late now. And I just, you know, unless unless they play hardball and the scenario that I talked about and Deshaun can literally see his career ticking away while he wastes one year, two years of his career, then there's no way where else this is going to get resolved. So I just, you know, I, I do feel bad for, for Nick Casario, but, you know, I hate to say it, but them's the breaks, man. You're the guy. You got to fix it. So, and I, what I really don't want to happen, which is exactly what is going to happen, which is the scenario that you just laid out, Tim, which is, it's just going to be, well, the player didn't want to be here. We want to move on. We're looking forward. We're not going to answer any questions about it. Blah, blah, blah. Like big old smile on their faces. And this is the best interest of the team. We thought this was the best interest of the team. So this is what we're doing. Uh, You know, we're excited about what, uh, what David Cully can do with the new players we're going to get as a result of this deal. You know, we're, we're, this is a new era in Texans football. We understand people are upset, but we'd ask them to trust us. And, you know, this is something that, that Steph Stradley has has really banged home, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. The idea that the Texans' mindset is essentially just trust us. We know what's best. This is all going to work out without understanding that they've done nothing to – nothing in the last 18 months to warrant anyone trusting their decision-making. None. And, and that's what worries me also about the future of the team just going forward. And, and Matt and I talked a little bit about this on Thursday, too. When you talk about, like, guys guys to cut, guys who you think can make a leap next year, guys who this or that on your team currently, like, who do we – how do we trust the regime to find replacements for guys they cut? So you have a guy on the roster. I, I forget who the guy was that we were talking about specifically – that would be helpful for this conversation. But there was there was a specific player we were talking about who's not great, but we saw some potential in him. Maybe they'll cut him. Maybe they won't. He could take a leap. Maybe he won't take a leap. But if you do cut him, like what's the confidence for this regime to replace him with a capable player? So bad, I think bad, um, poorly run franchises. That's where they 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 you know step on their D's a little bit, where they feel like oh this guy is going to make a leap because probably instead because they don't have the guys who can go out and find that replacement level player who, you know, this guy, Oh, I, I know who it was. I think it was the history of like how they churn defensive linemen, like Brandon Dunn, Carlos Watkins, Angelo Blackson, those, those type of guys, like those guys kept getting second contracts. They weren't huge contracts, but those are the guys that you should be able to replace with an undrafted free agent, a mid round pick, a guy off the street who's cheaper, but instead like, eh, he's pretty good. Maybe he'll get better. They haven't proven they can replace him with one of those guys. Top-heavy teams don't win Super Bowls. The ones that win Super Bowls, you know, maybe they have a couple of big stars, but the middle and the bottom of the roster are, you know, they're they're strong. They have depth. They have guys. They have guys who are playing well and working for cheap. And that's, you know, 
since the Bill O'Brien era started, it has not been that kind of team. And that's always sort of been, I think that's what we'll look back on and say is probably the most disappointing thing because I think anyone should have learned with the Seahawks when Russell Wilson was on his rookie deal, the way they managed their team to spend money elsewhere and to take advantage of the fact that they had Wilson so cheap for those, then it was four years because he wasn't a first round pick. That was the blueprint for how the Texans and everybody else should have handled building a team when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract who's very good. And, and you know, Weston, I know, has harped on it significantly over the last few years. They totally squandered that opportunity by not just not just signing, you know, vets to one- and two-year deals who they should, you know, guys they should have targeted. Instead, they're trading future assets to bring in expensive veterans with the new Deshaun deal looming. Like they're, and, and the only reason they had to do that was because they so poorly evaluated you know, left tackle, the offensive line, those sorts of deals, you know, corner, those sorts of, there's no reason that should have happened and they blew it and it ain't coming back. And it's only, if anything, the best case scenario is they get to hit reset by drafting another young quarterback and seeing if Casario can play that game better than O'Brien did in terms of taking advantage of the quarterback's contract. And that should be a template, you know, the way they handled Russell Wilson and like, there are certain things in the NFL that are like, they, they're so common. They've become cliches, you know, yeah. like for a long time, it was defense wins championships. Obviously that's changed. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of like tried and true things that is just an obvious way to handle things in the NFL. And that should be one of them. Yep. When you have yeah. a, a, a rookie who plays well on a rookie deal, you got to take advantage while you got to make hay while, while the sun's shining, man. Yeah. And, uh, there, there's, there's nothing difficult about that. And, I mean, it's difficult to execute, perhaps, but but to actually see that the team is executing that game plan, they never did it, and it, you know, and and now we're going into an era where we're just trusting that Nick Casario is, you know, quote unquote, the adult in the room, and he's going to be the guy to be making decisions, so things are going to be better. And yet, we have a couple of moves that have been made where I'm already questioning his competence. So. Yep. You know, this is going to be a this is going to be a long period of, you know, show me, don't tell me, you know, yep. I, it's going to be it's going to be a while before they do, like so far, the moves that have been made to me have been pretty obvious ones. So, I, I you know, yeah, cutting Nick Mark, Martin, like they got some credit on Twitter for that, but only in Houston Texans fandom do, do, do you get credit for cutting Nick Martin because of how bad things were previously. Right. When you signed him to a top three center deal when his play never approached that level. But he was a he was a Bill O'Brien guy, so Bill O'Brien gave him that deal. I'm going to run and get a drink, but before I do that, I want to ask both of you uh to uh, to respond. One of the one of the or and Scott as well, since he just checked back in. Tunsil to the Bengals for a first round pick and a third round pick. Okay. Uh I, you know what? Getting a first in return for Tunsil is solid enough for me. Um, I really wish that third was a second, but I'd take a third. Um, as long as we get a first in return, we get half of that value back. Um, I don't think that's that. That Oh, wait. Also says re-sign Rod Johnson. Uh, I don't know about all that. Um, he was serviceable when he had to step in uh, for Tunsil for a little bit. And then uh, I don't know if that's really something you can rely on consistently, consistently. 
But um, no, I think I might take that since he would be hungry for Joe Burrow too. I could do that as well. I mean, I'd like a, a second as well, but first and third, if you're going to Zorbama it, eh, sure. If it's the best deal on the board, I mean, in a second. If if the Texans are – if Easterby is in Casario's ear saying to Casario, hey, man, look, we got to get something at least close to what we gave up for Tunsil or we're going to – or I'm going to look so bad because, you know, my, my blood on my hands for all the bad deals. I ain't getting close to two ones for a Tunsil, I don't think. I, I cannot imagine that scenario. So if, if a one and a three is the best you can get, I mean, in a second, there's no – Matt and I had this – I wouldn't call it a debate because we both agreed. I, I honestly – I might trade – I would trade Tunsil even if Watson stayed, I think, because you got so much money tied up in – you know, well, Watson's cap it this year isn't bad, but Tunsil I think is one of those guys where, you know, and like with most top flight talents, the sooner the better – you know, the sooner you trade, the better value you're going to get. And, and, you know, develop a guy – Maybe draft a guy with your your uh, whatever their highest pick in this draft is. You know, maybe use the pick that they get for Tunsil to draft a new left tackle. Um, if this is, of course, if they were to keep Watson, I, I just feel like there's been we, we're traumatized in a lot of ways as Texans fans. But one of the underrated ways that we're all traumatized as Texans fans is due to how poorly the offensive line has been misman has been managed over the last several years during the O'Brien with Mike Devlin. Like they never developed anyone. They never took someone who was average and made him good. They never took someone who was bad and made him average. Like it was just a constant stream of bad offensive line play. And, you know, with the new guy they got, he, you know, he did his offensive line in San Diego wasn't good last year, but that was a one year deal. And I feel like with an offensive line, you got to give it maybe more than a year. But he had some great offensive lines, apparently, if I recall, in Green Bay. And I would like, I feel like you have no choice but to see what this new offensive line coach in this new system can do with maybe developing, you know, some, some new guys to play on the line, especially in a rebuilding year. But even if Watson were to stay, I feel like you could just, you could just do more with the picks that you get for Tunsil than the advantages you get with Tunsil. Cause another thing that I mentioned to, to Matt the other day is for me, like you think of a quarterback and you want to protect his blind side because you don't want him to get hurt. I feel like if Deshaun's going to get hurt, it's not going to be because of his blind side. It's going to be because of the way he runs and cuts and stops and starts and has all the wild off schedule plays that he has. Like if he were to get hurt, I feel like it would be something like that. Not because he got smashed from behind from someone who screwed up on the blind side. That's a good point. Uh, Gentlemen, I'm going to wave off for tonight, but I'll be on a little bit later in the morning. So, all right. Not speed. Well, Good talking to you, Scott. Yeah. All right. Scott. I'm gonna hop off too once once uh, our next our next panelist shows off shows up. Okay. Okay. I have to check on people. Carlos is sticking through. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm sticking to schedule, man. I came on early. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You did. You, yeah. you guys. You guys started it. Uh, there we go. Another question in the chat. Uh, potential trades and rebuilding postures. Do we know if Nick works with Jack or reports to Jack? I think the answer is we know nothing. Um, what we were told by uh, unreliable narrator uh, Cal McNair is that 
Jack has no influence on football decisions. It's all uh, Nick's call. But then, you know, when you see things like David Johnson being guaranteed money, he didn't need to be guaranteed. It's easy to guess that that could have Jack Easterby's fingerprints all over it because how is a football decision? It makes sense to guarantee David Johnson four and a quarter million dollars with a chance to earn up to six in 2021. Uh, it just doesn't track. So it makes it look like Jack has more influence than maybe he does. We don't know. Um, uh, the hope would be the hope would be that he has no, he has no ability to influence football personnel decisions. But I think based on what we've seen the last 18 months, it's tough to imagine that's the case, especially when bad decisions are being made. Right. Cause like you said, it doesn't make any football sense. And so the only way that, it, it clicks it all as to save face on that Hopkins trade. And mm-hmm. the only person Hopkins. left in the building who really, really cares about how that looks, especially since he was kind of reported to be involved, heavily involved with it, is Jack Easterby. Cal, I think at this point, is just so, like, off of that report, playing video games in his free time at, <laughs> at, at, at NRG. I just think he's along for the ride. He's not really in any position or any desire to really um, – uh, you know, bust anybody over the head over how the team's doing. I think he's really just there collecting his check and telling Jack, hey, you got it. Go ahead. Whatever you feel is right. And so people transcend their job titles all the time. Job titles mean almost nothing in a traditional sense at this point in time because everybody has a job title, but everybody knows that they do stuff way beyond what their job description says for the most part. And so, same thing with Jack Easterby. Why should we expect them to hold him to specifically executive vice president of football operations? Um, we know he's not freaking out about catering for the players or you know any little thing like that. He's he's too used to it. He's too used to meddling around, and so that's going to continue. So, Chris, uh, one of the one of the folks in the chat asked us to explain how the David Johnson move does not make sense. Uh. Which I take it to mean, not to put words in his mouth, but I take that to mean that he thinks that it made sense for the Texans to do what they did with David Johnson. Sure. Okay. Um, I, I guess as quickly as I can, it does not make sense because, first of all, you look at the running back position and you look at the importance of the running back position on a team that – I know they feel they're saying that Deshaun's going to come back, but they they know they know that they're either going to trade him or that Deshaun's going to sit. They cannot possibly think that Watson's going to play. So, in a rebuilding year, let's just call it that. The importance of that position is is not exactly extremely high. Um, I mean, I guess all positions are are, are important, but you can get. David Johnson's production from an undrafted free agent, a low draft pick, a maybe even a high, you know, I doubt maybe they will take a high, maybe they will make a a high pick on a running back, you know, a a street free agent. It it makes sense to me to work to re-sign David Johnson if he was – you know, he's a, he's a threat in the passing game or, you know, he doesn't have a ton left in the tank, but he's solid or he's, you know, a great guy to have in a young running back um, position room, uh, position group room. 
now he might be a great leader. I have no idea. But all the other stuff, when we look at his actual play, he's not good. Like if at least if he was good, maybe even average, you could justify some of the dollars they moved around for him to keep him here. But but you can't. You look at his production, and you know all the talk about last year. Oh, he, he was in the best shape of his life coming into the season, and he felt great, and blah 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 blah. We saw the best of what we can see with David Johnson, and to essentially spend more money to keep him rather than cutting him. Um, I, I forget what the savings would have been or how much they would have had to pay him if they cut him. But by reworking his deal and keeping him, you can replace that level of production with a, a younger back. And then if you, on top of that, you look at uh, how you're angling your team for the future. I mean, of all the positions, what's the one in the last several years where guys came out of nowhere, not highly drafted guys, mid-round guys, late-round guys, undrafted guys, guys who had changes of scenery, like like um, uh, our guy that we just that we traded to the Chiefs, uh, or that we got from the Chiefs a couple of years ago, Carlos Hyde. You know, just a change of scenery. Like when they signed him, I thought, Ugh. and he had a great season for the Texans. You, you can find guys like that. You can find undrafted free agents who have an impact and get them for a, a, a very small percentage of what they're going to pay David Johnson. My fear is that they're that, that with that deal they gave him. And because of the fact that, you know, he's like the last guy that, that, that you know, uh, Eastry wants to keep him around to justify the Hopkins trade a little bit more that they're like thinking he's going to be like a bell cow three down back. And Oh my God. I mean, in, in the, Hey, if we go three and out, that's okay. Offense. Maybe he is the perfect running back. <laughs> So well, that, that was that was a little bit overly ver- verbose, but the, nut, the nutshell, very quick response to that is: for his production, you can find a guy off the street or in the draft or as an undrafted free agent. And I don't think the veteran presence angle should really play into it, considering the type of team and the type of season this team's about to have. Carlos, do you think uh, there's some talk in the chat about what his his average rushing yards per carry were, how much his right. how much his average yards per reception? Seeing it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to me like those are a, a little bit deceptive. Um, you know, I don't know how you could have watched David Johnson play football last year and come away saying this is a great running back or even a good running back or a running back who's worth four and a quarter million dollars in 2021 up to six. So I. I mean, you tell me. Do you think the stats have it? Do you think the stats lie in some way here? Um, I think so because when you when you look back at like some of the play, like film, actual film, it just the explosion wasn't there. Um, there are a few big runs that he broke off um, that were, I won't say lucky because he he of course had to earn it, but um, you know, open gaps that allowed him to get to the second level and gain some extra yards. Um, but I think stats-wise, it tells a different story. And if you look at his total yardage, it placed him at like 23rd in the league or something around that mark. And so you could say, oh, well, he's a he's a starting level running back in the in the NFL. But um, I, I just don't think that the explosion was there. Um, I don't think that long term there's going to be anything there. And like Chris said, there was so much talk about him being in the best shape of his life, all the workout videos and stuff, and you know that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a great football player. Like we see Lonnie Johnson doing all the foot, all the foot exercise, the footwork <laughs> exercises and stuff and what happened. And so uh, I just don't think that um, it, it doesn't help that we have a terrible offensive 
offensive line situation right now. Um, it's not going to help anybody who's in that backfield. But I really do think that at this point, maybe maybe the contract was just like a incentive to be like, okay, hey, we're going to beat the ever-loving crap out of you this season, and you're just going to be abused up and down the field while we retool this offense and figure out personnel behind you. And then after that, you know, he'll be so used up, he may not really have a suitable role in any other offense in the league. Okay. So it could be and, a and final. I, hmm? Yeah, and I think there might be a little bit of misconception here in the, in the chat. Somebody saying you had to pay David Johnson $2.1 million anyway. I don't think you had to pay him anything. I think the issue was if you were going to cut him, it was going to cost you $2.1 million on the salary cap. Um, I, I think his guaranteed money was was gone. I think it was purely a function of this is what the cap hit would be if you cut him. I don't think you were paying him anything. So you went from cutting him and having to eat $2.1 million to bringing him back and voluntarily eating 4.25 for a guy that that I, I don't – I mean, do you guys think he could start anywhere else in the NFL? I mean – No chance. I, I He – he, I mean, we've seen all the highlights of him, the inability to break tackles, slow to hit the hole, the poor vision. I mean, I, I there again, his level of production, totally replaceable. I, I mean, and then, and then just, just philosophically, do you want a guy who, even if you got a, a mediocre season out of David Johnson, you know, that that's going to be his ceiling is being mediocre. So do you want to spend a lot less money? on someone that in a rebuilding year you could find a, a hidden gem in, or do you want to spend more money on a guy who, you know, the ceiling is, is at best mediocrity. And I think mediocrity is, you know, you're really shooting for the stars with him at this point. He's just, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. And he's a great community guy, but I mean, in football terms, he's washed. I mean, it's just, it's just a harsh reality of the business. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand how in this, in this, in this world in the NFL where running back is probably more fungible than it's ever been, why you would say that David Johnson, based on his 2020 performance, should be brought back at the salary they brought him back at. I just I, I, I don't see it. And whether you're whether you're especially if you're thinking that we're going to draft somebody else uh, and, and Johnson's going to be a backup or a third down back, it makes even less sense to spend that kind of money on. Him. Um, you know, I, I just we we. I mean, you, for example, Christian McCaffrey was was the toast of the town a year ago. He gets extended. He's got some injury issues this year, and now you hear about him being a potential part of a of a trade to the Texans from the Panthers for Deshaun. And that's because you don't pay running backs like that. No matter how special they are, you can't pay them like that. And and. To, to then pay a guy like David Johnson, who who I don't think did anything last year that you could reasonably say approximated being labeled as special, four and a quarter million dollars with a chance to make six, it, it just doesn't make sense on any level aside from the idea of, well, we got to save face from the DeAndre Hopkins trip. Totally optics. I mean, it, 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 it's... It's been it's been very it's been very transparent. You know, their whole act this whole time has just been this all this glad handing and you know everything is great big smiles you know I, 
and that that sickened me as a fan. Just like I just want them to be real for once. Like I know it's commonplace, but I just for once, man, I just want them to be real about this stuff. And this is just another example of this because it and, and that's what concerns me about Casario and his first move, because if if Nick Casario has total control over personnel, then this is a bad move. So the only the only reasonable explanation is that it's got Jack's fingers in it. So does it mean that that Nick Casario is always going to be a bad GM? No, but this is I think a bad move, and it puts and it does not give me confidence that he will stand up and say, Jack, listen, man, I know that's your boy, and I know that you and I are buds, but you've got to get your nose out of this because you have no business being involved in these decisions. Like I need my GM to tell that to Jack Easterby if Easterby is going to be in, is going to be in the building. Yeah, and we've talked about this I think in previous podcasts and I know I've read it other places but and it might have been Rivers that wrote this that I that I'll credit him with it maybe it wasn't but I'll credit him anyway. Um these guys generally don't get more than one shot at being a GM. That's right. Uh a lot of times, you know, if they have success, maybe they get another shot. But if they don't, if they bottom out, there's not a whole lot of GMs that get hired a second time when they don't have success at their first spot. So it's going to be, you know, at some point, Nick Casario for the friendship, relationship, whatever he has with Jack Easterby, at some point he's got to realize that Easterby is having a negative impact on his career. And he's going to have to say at some point, you can't be here anymore. And then it's going to come down to whether Cal or other people that are that are pulling the strings, whether it's whether it's his mom, whether it's his wife, whoever, it's going to come down to whether they're willing to allow Casario to essentially assert control over football operations and say Jack's got to be gone. Otherwise, Casario's this may be the only GM job Casario ever gets. Which, when when you wait as long as he did in New England, you're waiting for the right spot. Yep. And whether he thinks he got sold a bill of goods here, whether it's a bad situation that he didn't appreciate, at some point he's going to have to say, this is it. I got to make, I got to, as you said, I got to make hay. So it's going to involve him telling Cal McNair or whoever, Jack has to go. And I do think that's going to happen. It's not going to happen as quick or as as quick as I thought it should have. But at some point it has to happen or Nick Casario is not going to be a GM again in the league. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I I do think I still think, and I said this from a long a long time ago. But just like you, it's just it's it's going to happen a lot further down the line than I had hoped and thought it would. I think eventually Jack used to be will resign, uh, just based on the 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 hell that's going around this this franchise and how like we haven't even like you said we haven't got to the bottom yet, man. Once Deshaun's actually gone, ooh mm-hmm. boy, and you know. This like the fans like in the past. I don't know if we're gonna have fans this year or not yet. But like you know, the fa- I, I've been to several games and like like a lot of teams, you know, they'll they'll boo when they're upset with play. Man, when David Cully and AJ McCarron or whoever the starting quarterback is trots on the field for the first time when there's fans in the stands, holy shit! It is going to be a firestorm of boos. I mean, and and I mean, whoever the poor quarterback is. I, I, it's not their fault that this happened. So anytime that quarterback, you know, throws the ball low, gets intercepted, fumbles, makes the wrong read and sails the ball over. So, oh man, 
the booze are just going to rain down like unholy hellfire. And they, you know, that, that, that player won't deserve it, but the organization deserves it. Cal and Hannah and Jack and Nick in the booth at NRG, there'll be no hiding from that sound. Carlos, if I told you, if I asked you to tell me when you think Jack Easterby is no longer a member of the Texans organization, what would your answer be? After next season. I mean, he will absolutely be with the team this season for sure. There's nothing that will happen between now and when when this coming season starts that will get him the axe. Not a single thing. But I think after people get a little taste of the on-field product of what this organization looks like on the field, um, I think Easterby will be the first and most expendable person to go. Casario would be too early in his in his tenure to be chopped off. Um, Cully, we know that he's a scapegoat in, in any way, and so he's going to be here until the team gets better. Um, and so Easterby is just the only head to, head uh, head to be chopped that makes sense. It would appease the fan base. People would feel like, okay, we're growing in a healthier direction. I mean, we'd still have you know, Miss brain dead doofus as an owner, but um, we wouldn't have Easterby around. And so I think, I think they know, they understand the optics of the situation and what all the negative light that he brings to the franchise at this point. And the second that they start seeing a dip in sales and tickets and revenue, um, they're going to chop him. I mean, he knows it too, that he only saved his job because he got Nick Casario in the door. And so that was a last gasp Hail Mary that somehow worked with that little prayer circle. And uh, that that's only going to work for him for so long. So I think definitely next season. So your take is January, 2022, Jack Easterby is no longer a member of the Texans. March. March of 2022. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a little while. Chris. Oh man. God, I, I, I really, I hadn't thought about this. Now that he clearly has lasted longer than I thought he would, I thought this would happen. Okay, outside chance, outside chance that he resigns when it becomes clear in the building that Watson's going to be traded. Of course, at that point, I don't. I think it's going to be too late because you know Cully's hired, the culture is established. You know the continuing Patriot culture, etc. I think it's pretty clear in the building that Watson's getting traded, man. Well, I, I mean, you know, these people. You know, I, I feel like sometimes they actually believe some of the sure. It's not a lie if you believe it. George Costanza taught us that. Right, right. I think I think Casario knows. I don't know what you know, Cal. I I don't know what he knows about anything. Like I, the the, the buffoonery is just, you know, I, I feel like profound. he can be. I feel like he's probably sheltered from a lot of this, and you know, obviously he's got Jack in his ear constantly, mm-hmm. and you know. I don't want to get into the whole religion aspect, but you know, I, I, you know, there is the element of, you know, we're being persecuted, so we must be right. Um, I've known folks like that. I've seen it in action. So I I guess if I had, if I had to put down uh, a time, um, I think it's going to go longer than that. I think they go through the full rebuild year this year and maybe one more. So, I mean, it's hard to say because I feel like there's never going to be a bigger gut punch than when Deshaun Watson is traded. So anything that happens after that, it's not severe enough to be something that pushes him over the top. So here I am talking myself into him never leaving. 
<laughs> so I, just in solidarity and hope, I will throw in with Carlos and say sometime between the Super Bowl and the beginning of free agency a year from now. And right now, like if they gave you anything like you got to choose one of these, I would take that in a second because in my head, he's here forever. So if you put it in front of me right now, just like, you know, if you say, I'll give you a fifth round pick for JJ Watt, I'll take it. Something. So I will take a year from now gladly to get the, to get him, to get him gone. So, so Tim, I think we have another panelist who might be ready to jump on. Okay. In the chat. Uh, Jeremy might be ready to come in and yeah. why don't we go ahead and remind folks about the areas about the yeah. various charities that we're trying to benefit here. So, uh, everybody who's watching and listening, uh, appreciate you being here. We're doing this, uh, because we're masochists, but also because we are hoping to draw some attention to a couple of causes. Uh, cancer has likely touched all of our lives in one way or the other. Uh, definitely mine, uh, and people close to me. So we are promoting uh, that you donate to the Cancer Research Institute, uh, cancerresearch.org. And uh, we have sort of evaluated their charity and uh, they're, they're a solid one to give to, trust me. So we're not ha we're not asking you to pass it to us and then we pass it to them. So we don't really have any way of tracking the amount, but we're just asking you to go ahead and make a donation. I made one myself, hopefully you will too. Also, if you wanna throw a couple dollars to the JJ Watt Foundation and Deshaun Watson's, founda Deshaun Watson's Foundation, you can go ahead and you know, those are easy to find online and shoot them a donation as well um, for obvious reasons. And uh, I've been on for about three and a half hours. I'm gonna be back in the morning so now that now that uh, that Jeremy's checked in, I think I'm gonna step out for a while, and I don't know. Like I I'm I I do I am a I suffer from horrible horrible insomnia, like I'm sure a lot of us do. Um, so who knows? I might wake up and pop in in the middle of the night sometime, but I'll be back sometime in the morning, and who knows when uh, we'll all be popping in and out all the time. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Good to see you guys, and uh, good luck with the rest of it. Good talking to you, Chris. See you, Chris. See you guys. Jeremy, you just joined us. Opening remarks on the state of the Texans. <laughs> if you had to use words. Sorry. Sorry. You had to use Excuse words. Me. I just had to get out of um, right. it. It was – it's not good. Not good, Tim. Not mm -hmm. good. Have you ever been more discouraged as a Texans fan than you are right no, now? Absolutely okay. not. Okay. It's just it's like I was hearing y'all talk about David Johnson and all that, and that's cute and all, but like what does it matter if Deshaun's not here? Like that's that's honestly how I feel. Like if if Deshaun's not there, we're losing every game. There's no need for a running back because we're throwing the ball because we're down four touchdowns. And I mean it's just like I don't know. That that needs to it needs to be sorted out. It needs to be sorted out, and you need to start off the field before you can go on the field, in my opinion. And I, I don't disagree with any of that, but, but have you come to grips with the fact that Deshaun Watson is getting traded? You know, I, I – no. I, honest, okay. I, I, honestly, no. I think, I think I'm still holding out for this idea that Jack Easterby one day resigns and then everything's sorted out because <laughs> I do think that – this is going into the season. I do you don't think, think Deshaun. You don't think they're trading him before mm -hmm. September? No, I, I really don't because okay. 
at this point, I, I just feel like they. This is where I think the Texans are right now. So they obviously don't want to trade Deshaun because, and there's, and that's what they're saying because they want to try to boost his value up as much as they can. You got four years left in the deal. You know, there, there's a lot of value to Deshaun Watson, top five quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the idea because there's so many quarterback situations that are up in the air at this point, right? Not just the Texans. It's it's all over the league. San Francisco, Seattle, Dallas. You know, Jacksonville, Carolina, San Francisco, like they're all, all these teams have questions to answer at quarterback. And because this draft class is so fruitful, there's like five guys that can go in the first round, six sure. guys that can potentially start. I think people are going to be like, well, if we can't get Deshaun, we're not going to waste our time and just pass up on a quarterback right now when we can go and get one. Like, okay. I think Carolina is like one of those interesting little teams that needs a quarterback right now, but they're going to be like, well, we can get one in the draft. And there, and this might be your only shot to get a good quarterback in the draft. So they might go out and get it. Chicago's in the same boat. Um, you know, there, there, there's so many teams that feel like they can go out and change their quarterback situation. And this is the year to do it. Like this is the year to change your quarterback situation. And if Deshaun's not available, then I think teams are going to fill in the role. Like I don't see a team trading for Deshaun Watson in the middle of training camp. Like that's going to really affect whatever team, like if you have your quarterback, you got to stick with it at training camp. Like, it's not like something if Deshaun Watson after the third preseason game gets traded to some other team, like that's just, to me, I don't see that happening. I think, and and I think some teams might be banking on that, but how do you think that creates, you know, it's creating chaos all over the league because mm-hmm. if, if you say Carolina and Carolina's drafted a guy who are, they're not going to go for Deshaun Watson. Sure. Or and if they say they are, then how does that make that rookie feel that comes into camp? It's like, oh, I'm about to be replaced by Deshaun Watson. Am I going to get traded? Mm-hmm. And you know that that situation is also permeating in in Philly and in Indianapolis and in Chicago. Like, there's so many, and I think that's what the the Colts kind of just said. They said, you know what, we're not getting Deshaun. Let's go out and get Carson Wentz just so we have something solid for this season. And I think as time ticks you're going to see more teams start to solidify, you know, say, forget Deshaun, we're going to stick with our own situation. And whether or not Deshaun plays for the Texans this season is, you know, at least they can still have him on the roster. And, you know, maybe you can talk him into, after he sits a full season, you can say, like, okay, like, maybe I should just stay here and play. And and maybe I should give this a shot. And maybe at this point, Jack Easterby's gone, and maybe the the – Culture's a little bit different. I don't know. But the thing is, if if the Texans are going to trade him, they need to trade him before the draft. They, they have to because they, they there's so many assets you can get in the draft and you can get your guy and just start from scratch. There's a, there are several guys in this first round that can be franchise quarterbacks. Not as good as, as Deshaun, but at least you're starting from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that is – like I'd rather have – look, if Deshaun goes – I'd at least rather have a contingency plan set in place. And if that contingency plan is Zach Wilson or, you know, uh, Justin Fields, I'm happy with either of those guys. Trey Lance is someone I'm also pretty high on. Um, if, if any of those three guys are there, I'm, I'm Gucci. I'm Gucci with that. But I just – I don't see that happening given what we've seen so far. I don't think Casario is going to deal Deshaun at this point. And I think Casario is actually playing this, you know, it, it, it is kind of – it's going to look real dumb if he sits out. Because he could have had like, oh, you should have, you could have traded him and all that. But if you keep, I think he's still holding out this idea to try to keep him. At the I, end, of I the agree. Day. I agree with you to a point. 
I definitely don't think there's any way that they trade him after day one of the draft. If they ha- they they don't trade him uh, during training camp, they're not going to trade him midseason. If he's not traded the first day of the NFL draft, he ain't getting traded this year. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with you on that. I think the last but, time there was a quarterback trade in the middle of the season, it was like Carson Palmer. Remember when right. Carson Palmer got traded in the middle of the season? And that was because he, he was like a retired. Yeah, yeah. I, they won't trade him in the middle of the season. I 100% agree with you on that. I do think, though, that the that if I had to bet, the odds are they trade him before the first round of the 2021 draft or on the day or when the first round starts. If they don't trade him then, then I think what you're saying is uh, about being here next year is, is 100% the most likely scenario. But I don't think that they're going to be comfortable with all the all the negative press, all the negative attention on them not trading Deshaun and making him sit out because that's what people are going to look at. They're going to take Deshaun's side, at least nationally, making him sit out as opposed to trading him. Carlos, what do you think? I think Jeremy is spot on. I think uh, I think if they don't move him before the draft, he is absolutely going to be forced to stay here. And I think they really do have to approach him as, you know, hey, we're going to hold you hostage. You signed a contract, that whole nightmare scenario that's going to – I mean, the NFLPA is going to have a field day with that. Um, but I really uh, – I do think that it, it'll, it'll come to that point where it's like, hey – we're not trading you. Don't even think about, you know, trying anything. They can't or you can't. Um, and so it has to happen on the day of the first round of the draft. There is no way that they're going to do it any later than that. Um, it just wouldn't make any sense. And even then, this quarterback class, we talked about it a little earlier, but really for me, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm still a big Trevor Trevor Lawrence guy, but Zach Wilson's there, Justin Fields. Um Mac Jones was listed in there too. And uh, no, no McCorkle. I will not cheer for a man named McCorkle. And uh, we'll we'll get back to the Trevor Lawrence thing in a second, but we just had a question mm -hmm. in the chat from H tech sports BR. Do you buy the concept that Deshaun's value drops if we keep him and let him sit out Jeremy? No. and, And to kind of piggyback off what you said, Tim, about like the, the bad publicity, well, Texans could save, like, end world hunger, and they would still find a reason to hate on it. Like, like they're they can't do anything right. Even if they do, they're going to get criticized for it. If they keep Deshaun, they're going to get criticism. If they trade Deshaun, they're going to get criticism. There's That's right. absolutely no way around this. But to kind of answer this question here, honestly, like Deshaun is a quarterback that is in his prime, if not at, about to get into his prime, and his value is not going to drop, especially like if he was a free agent at the end of the year, if he didn't sign that extension, then yes, but he's got a four-year contract. So you had a franchise quarterback that if you have a decent defense, like if you have a defense that's just a little bit better than what the Texans put out this year, that's a, that's a, that's a playoff contender right there. And that's all that teams are looking for. You want to get a chance into the playoffs. Once you get into the playoffs, it's, you know, that's what the Bucks did. The Bucks, they they decided that they needed a guy that was going to, you know, get them to the playoffs. And then after the playoffs, let everything else happen. And that and they won a Super Bowl out of it. So that is what Deshaun Watson can bring to a team. 
And whether... So, yeah, I don't think his value is going to drop anytime soon unless it's, you know, four years from now and he still hasn't played it down in football. But... All right. Okay, well, counterpoint. Not this year. Not in 2021. Counterpoint from Joe. Joe says he thinks that Deshaun's value drops if he sits out because several interested teams will have gotten their quarterbacks during this year and that, therefore, there will be less suitors. My response to that would be, that's true to a point, but I think Deshaun is such a special player that there's always going to be a market for him. And perhaps some of the teams that think they have their solution at quarterback right now may feel differently a year from now and will therefore take the spots of the teams that draft a young quarterback and decide that's their guy. I think that the market the, the, the market for Deshaun, I think, will remain constant, although the teams that are pursuing him may change. I think he's that good, and I think that naturally the, the sort of envy of looking at a guy like Deshaun as opposed to your quarterback is always going to result in someone saying, boy, but I can get Deshaun Watson, that's better than what I have now. So I, I, I'm with you guys. I don't think I don't think that him um, sitting out this year or part of this year, because I don't think he's going to sit out the whole year. If he sits out the whole year, he doesn't get any credit for this year in his contract. He's got to come back by week 10. So if he does sit out, I cannot fathom that he doesn't come back in week 10 to not just uh, to basically get a year of credit on his contract. Because if he doesn't, then he's still under contract for the five years that he's under right now. He's got to come back by week 10. So my take would be even if he sits out, he'll come back in week 10 or he'll be or he'll, you know, be injured or something like that. I do not see a way in which he does not try to get credit for the 2021 season towards his five years that he's still under oath or still under contract. That's fair. Carlos. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I don't I don't think Deshaun Watson's like a gallon of you know, milk where each day go by, goes by, it gets worse and worse. You know, I think not him sitting out years old. Yeah, exactly. Sitting out this season. Um, it just, it, it's a year of, uh, it's a year less of toll on his body. And so, especially the way that he plays being so mobile and taking so many hits and with the offensive line being so shit, um, you know, him just getting harassed on a regular basis, that might actually be a net positive for him in the long run. And um, the quarterback market, like you said, he's a very special player. He could walk in and be better than a team's existing quarterback in like eight of, in over 85% of the league. And so the same will be uh, that, that notion will be the same next season because this draft class, I mean, you may have some rookie standouts next year that just blow everybody away, you know, some outliers, but for the most part, it may take some of these guys a few years to develop. And we could possibly get that back in a trade where we have a year of film on these rookie prospects, you know, how they handle NFL defenses and know, hey, maybe this is some guy that'll fit our system, get him back in a trade for Deshaun in addition to draft capital or a guy that we really don't believe in and just focus on draft capital somewhere else. Yeah, well, well for example, let's look at it this way. Assuming, assuming they don't trade him this year in teams that aren't necessarily in a market for for right now, you know, a year from now, you figure the Steelers, if they haven't drafted their quarterback of the future, are looking for a quarterback because Roethlisberger, you can't fathom, comes back two years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the Raiders. Uh, you know, Derek Carr is, is probably the guy next year, but maybe he's not. Maybe it's Mariota. Either way, a year from now, they may well be looking to make a change at the position. So I think those guys, you know, teams like that that right now may appear to have their answer 
in 2022, the answer could change. Just like, yeah, there you go. Atlanta, Mm -hmm. if they don't take a guy, uh, for example, you know, and, and, and to, to see what some of these teams do in the draft this year, you know, Carolina, if they don't acquire Deshaun this year and they don't get a guy that they love at number eight, who knows? Maybe next year they're that much more desperate to, to you know, throw the sink at getting Deshaun. I think the market itself will – the market will be there regardless. But let me ask you this before I before I step out to, to uh, refill my glass. With regard to Trevor Lawrence, you mentioned him, Carlos. Mm-hmm. If the Jaguars were willing to trade the number one pick in the draft for Deshaun Watson – Yep. Let's, let me let me take it through. The first scenario will be this: Would you trade Deshaun Watson straight up for the number one pick in the draft? Like just equal, straight up. Oh, they're absolutely Trevor, not. They're no. giving you the opportunity to have Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> they're giving you the opportunity to have Trevor Lawrence on a rookie contract, mm-hmm. and they're going to take Deshaun Watson. Not good enough. Not Jeremy? enough in return. Jeremy, mm-hmm. you're thinking about it. Uh. Uh-uh. No, okay. I'm with you. I don't think you do either. Ah, I I mean, the the Texans' problem is they don't have draft assets for years. It's not just this year. It's it's last year, the next year. I think what they should honestly do is try to trade Laramie Tunsil for a first-round pick. And I think everybody that's been in the chat, so everybody that's been on the podcast so far has 100% said that. If you can trade trade Tunsil for a first-round pick and you're getting ready to Sean, you got to do it. I think what they honestly should do, I know they will never do it, but you actually have seen things happen. Like, I think last year Carolina drafted, I think, all defense. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if the Texans did the same thing this year because that defense is – 50 piles of shit and then some like they are like the offense like yeah like running back i was seeing like some options like like chuba hubbard and stuff like that and yeah that have been cute but like i think that's why they brought back david johnson to be honest because they know they're not getting a running back in the draft oh god and they would rather spend their their defense their packs on defense but I think I think it would have been better if you use that money and and try to throw it at a free agent and then get a get an undrafted guy. Maybe Scotty Phillips could you know flash. Up. I don't know, but because you've seen like like James Robinson's a great example. James yeah. Robinson was an undrafted guy and yep. he was able to ball out last year. Yep. And you you look at the league and I think it's similar to quarterbacks. Like half of the league starting quarterbacks were first round picks. And if you look at the running backs. You look at the first round picks and it's a it's a mixed bag. And most running backs were taken, you know, day two, day three. So mm-hmm. but if I'm the Texans, I'm going all defense in this draft. Like they have to. It's it's just that defense needs so much fixing. One hundred percent agree. There's only but even even then, like like I just it's hard for me to even say like the steps to fix this team before they go fix Easterby. Like that's to me, like I, I always, it's been like this for three months now. It, yes. I, I always look at how this team is and it's just, this team gets nowhere until they figure out what's going on in the front office. Then once you do that, then you can start. Cause at this point, that's when the rebuild begins. In my opinion, the rebuild doesn't begin. Now it begins once Easterby goes, then you can actually build the team. I, I don't disagree with any of that. But to circle back, Carlos, I'll ask you this. 
Mm-hmm. Jacksonville says we want Deshaun Watson. Right. We understand it's going to take more than the first overall pick in the draft. Right. What does Jacksonville have to trade to you if you're running the Texans for you to say you can have Deshaun Watson? Okay. There's not really a player on their roster that I think I would directly want. So most of it's going to come from their draft, uh, from their war chest. And so I'm probably looking at the first overall pick at lit at minimum, another one, ideally two more ones. And then another, maybe two to possibly even three day two picks, nothing in day three. Um, and so minimum, that's it. I mean, it could be spread over the next year, two years, um, but it's all going to be pretty immediate. And Jacksonville has a surplus of picks, especially at the top of the draft, because they have the Rams picks from uh, the Jalen Ramsey deal. But right. I, I would never trade Deshaun in the division, ever. You wouldn't? I would never do that. That That's like It'd asking, be scary. That's asking for like – like that's asking for a spanking twice a year. Oh, yeah. That's asking it. for like it's just something you like. I, even when they happened in the past, like when Donovan McNabb got traded to, like that's different though because at least Donovan McNabb was past his prime and stuff like that. But right, I would never trade a. I would never trade in the division. Absolutely not. This is like placing a Brady in your own division. That you no, can count on two losses a year. Yeah, it's just like that's just asking for trouble. Like, and I think honestly, part of. Like, I think J.J. had a lot of interest in Tennessee. Right. And maybe there was the idea of trading him to Tennessee, but I think the Texans were like, no, we're not trading him to Tennessee. Like, it's just <laughs> anywhere yeah. but. Right. Especially, like, it's just, to me, I don't know. I just, I don't, it is, it is like this guy said in the chat, this is an unprecedented situation. So, right. like, like everything, like, about how, you know, Russell Wilson is – in trade talks and you know Jimmy Garoppolo and and all these guys like that the quarterback market it should be divided into two it should be the quarterback market and then Deshaun because Deshaun's right. market is so different than everyone else's and sure sometimes they like to mix and mingle but Deshaun's situation is so different than than Russ's than than yeah. Cam's than Garoppolo's than all of those guys. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. okay. I, yeah, no, no sure. argument. So th- there's another question here in the chat. Do you think Lovey Smith survives the 2021 season? <laughs> is that like it was there? Is there a thought that he won't? Like I think the thought is that the defense is going to be so bad, and the system that he runs is so antiquated that want out that the defense could be worse than anyone imagines and that he could be a fall guy for how bad they how bad the team looks to answer the question yes i think he does survive the 2021 season he may be the sacrificial lamb at the end of the season to show that they're serious about making making improvements and that the defense was terrible and someone actually has to uh more or less pay with their job for the defense looking as bad as it is even though as of right now, they probably have as little talent as any defense in the entire league. Uh, I think that Lovey Smith survives the season, but it would not surprise me at all if he ended up being the fall guy or the scapegoat 
for how bad the defense looks and gets canned after the season. What do you guys think, Carlos? Oh, okay, okay. So you're saying that he survives this season, doesn't get fired midway through, but he gets canned right. after the season's over. Okay. That'd be my okay. guess. That'd be totally, my Totally, okay. Totally understand that. That's, okay, that clears it up. Um, I don't I think, think he gets fired midseason. Yeah, I don't think Lovey Smith gets fired midseason either. I think they're going to let him ride with this. Um, he's, he's set up for failure, really. And yes. Lovey Smith, it came out of, Freaking nowhere. I mean, what that Illinois defense was one of the worst. Uh, it was Illinois that he was at, right? Yes. One yep. of the, one of the one of the worst defenses in the country. Not you know not so great. Um, antiquated scheme and just nobody really understood why. And so, I think he's coming in here as a solid as a veteran presence. Kali probably knew him from however long ago and was like, "Yep, that's my guy. I want him." Uh, he and seems I think, smart enough. I think there's a real question as to whether actually Cully hired him or not. Um, right. Remember that, like the timing of everything seemed to be almost that Lovey Smith was here interviewing for the defensive coordinator job before Cully actually got the head coaching job. So That's true. I yeah. think there's, I think there's a school of thought, and I think it's it's a, it's a reasonable one that Lovey Smith was a um, was an organizational hire as opposed to a David Cully hire and that, uh, you know, David Cully was in a position where you're going to let him be an NFL head coach. And absolutely you can dictate to him who needs to be on his staff because ain't no one else offering him an NFL coaching job. That's true. Lovey, Lovey Smith gets the Lovey Smith gets the gig. If not before David Cully gets his simultaneously and he's the hire. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, Hey, look, we're, we're um, we're trying something different. We're bringing in a veteran NFL head coach who had some success. He's going to put in his defense, and we expect great things, despite the fact that his defensive scheme hasn't been successful at this level for a long time, and he hasn't been a successful uh, defensive mind in a long time. Right. Jeremy, what were your thoughts on the Lovey Smith hire? I didn't hate it because <laughs> – I figured if you're going to give Cully the first head coaching gig of his career, you might as well give him a guy that has had head coaching experience, similar to how Steven Silas hired Jeff Hornacek for the roster staff. So you have at least someone that you can, you can turn to and be like, Hey, like how, how, what do you think about this? And I'm trying to find, like I looked at their resumes and trying to find out where they might have, you know, crossed paths in their career. The closest I can get is Lovey Smith was in Tampa from 96 to 2000 and Cully was there from 94 to 95. So they don't have any like, like times when they've worked together other than right now in 2021. So I think it, but I mean, look, David Cully has been around the block and so is Lovey Smith. So I'm sure they're in the same circles, mm-hmm. They but they haven't worked together before. So I'm curious to see how it's going to work out. But I do like the fact that, the Texans at least brought in someone with some head coaching experience because I think that's also why having, you know, Romeo in the building for as long as they did, it was, was beneficial. And I think Lovey Smith is kind of that hire comes from the same reasoning from that. If that makes any sense. It, it does. And, and it brings to mind, you know, one of the things I always appreciated the most about Gary Kubiak was he didn't have the kind of ego that prevented him from bringing in other strong voices. You know, he had a bunch of former NFL head coaches that worked with him or for the Texans. It's, you know, I remember Ray Rhodes 
um, was a, was a defensive assistant, was one of the first hires that that was on that initial staff that Kubiak had. And it wasn't an ego thing. He wasn't threatened by these guys. Um, again, I don't know that that Lovey Smith was necessarily a David Cully hire, but I do I, I do appreciate the notion of what you said of hey, this guy's been there before. Having a sounding board of someone that that David Cully is a first time head coach can bounce things off of. I think there's something to be said for that. I just think that in all, I think it's far more likely that Lovey Smith's um, scheme and the coaching style and all those things. I think it's more likely that he fails in part because of those things, but in far larger part because the defense has next to no talent left. And he could well have signed up to either knowingly or unknowingly uh, be the scapegoat for when things look as bad as we think they will in 2021. It would make sense. I don't think David Cully's here in three years, so it would make sense if they bought him out next year and they want to show that they're they're serious about um, accountability or at least preaching accountability, that Lovey Smith is the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think, you know, is there really, you know, maybe Lovey decides that he's he does have enough. I don't know. Or maybe Cully thinks he's had enough. You know, I think – I think Cully is might he might get here and he might say you know what I'm really grateful for this opportunity you know I've waited my whole life for this and then he gets it and he's like okay thanks for that cup of tea appreciate it and you know go out because this is a lot of pressure for him like, sure he's being set up to fail miserably yes this man is being like and that's just like it's just so not fair and life is not fair but right just you know this. David Culler seems like a great guy. Like he yep. really seems like a nice guy. Yep. And I hate that he's going to look like a total idiot after working his whole ass off for 30 years in the NFL to to field one of the worst teams in in history, possibly. That's if this team is not Deshaun Watson, this team will win maybe one one or two games. I, I'm dead serious about that. There's absolutely no way this team wins four games next year. It's that, just not going to happen. That you, part you, won, you won four games with Deshaun Watson. Yep. That How are you going to sucks. It just, sucks for Cully. Yeah, no, no and, and I think, honestly, he might just say, you know what, like, this is not what I signed up for, y'all. Or maybe – you know, this is what he signed up for, and he didn't realize it, it, how it is what he signed up for. Yeah, I, I think it's that he's a sixty-five-year-old guy who no one ever mentioned or thought about as a head coaching candidate. I think he knew exactly what he was getting into. He got a five-year contract. They're going to pay him millions of dollars, not top of the market or probably even middle market. My guess would be it's the lower market of the NFL head coaching salaries. But he got a five-year deal to be here with the implicit understanding that he he almost surely doesn't see year four. He may not see year three, but he's got a five-year guaranteed deal that will give him a nice soft landing for when it inevitably goes south. I don't see, I you know, and I know that everyone likes to think that they're going to be the one to succeed and they're going to turn it around. And he's been he's worked his whole life for that, and I think all of that is true. At the same time, he is in a horrific situation that he cannot possibly be blind to. He's a 65 year old guy getting his first head coaching job. I think that this is essentially a a pension that he's getting in the form of this five year contract. He's not going to make it all the way through. I think probably if you gave him truth serum, he would know that. He's going to be the one that that more or less sees this team through the next couple brutal years. 
gets fired, retires, and has a large nest egg to do so. And look, I hope Cully succeeds because if Cully succeeds, the Texans can succeed. But it's just at this point, I I can't help but feel like he's been made this, like he's going to turn into the next scapegoat for this York. Like, oh man, it's just, and and look, good good for him to do that. And I honestly think because I do think that Cully might have been the let's say third or fourth choice. Like I really like you can't tell me that out of all of the guys they interviewed, all the guys they thought of that he was like their, their guy. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's go with him. So I think, and, and I think, you know, after the I think fact, he's a yes, man, I, I don't disagree with any of that. And so I think that we found out, the day that Cully got hired or the day that of what was supposed to be his introductory press conference, we found out that Deshaun Watson had actually demanded a trade weeks before. I think they knew Deshaun wanted out. I think they were resigned to the fact that at some point they were probably going to accommodate that request. So I think that David, that David Cully, if he wasn't their first choice was certainly their preferred choice for once we trade Deshaun Everything here is going to go to shit. We're not going to compete. We're not going to win. It's going to be about weathering the next two to three years and then hopefully being competitive after that. So we need a guy that can come in and assist us in keeping morale high, who's not going to rock the boat. And David Cully was that guy. I mean, I don't know. And I haven't done that much research into it. Are either of you guys familiar with David Cully ever getting another head coaching interview? He's been in the league 27 years. Doesn't ring a bell, but I will say, look, everything you just said, Tim, I'm putting that, I'm clicking that retweet button. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, unfortunately, those are the facts. There's a reason he was brought here, and it's not to win a Super Bowl. It's to preside over a complete teardown and to keep a happy face on it and to stay and to try to motivate the troops. And to say we're working towards something bigger than ourselves, we're on the right path, and then inevitably he gets fired. Then they bring in another coach who they think can be a real solution when they have more talent on the roster. I think that was the plan, more or less, from the minute that they that Deshaun said, "I'm out," because they knew at that point this they were tearing this down to the studs. And if you're Eric Bieniemy, you know I, I understand he only got the one interview, but like if you're Eric Bieniemy, do you want this job? No, no, you know, that's why the I want to get Mahomes into the ring. That's what I yeah, want. That, that's why the finalists, that's why the finalists were Leslie Frazier and David Cully, two guys who weren't getting another NFL head coaching job. You know, I mean, that's it's unreal that that's where we are, uh, you know, 12 calendar months after the Texans being up 24 nothing in the second round of the playoffs at Arrowhead, but that's the reality. Um, and you know, I just think. I think that's why he was brought here. I think that's why Leslie Frazier was the other candidate. I don't think Leslie Frazier is going to be a head coaching candidate anywhere else. And I think David Culley's out of here in another, you know, two. Maybe he makes it. Maybe he makes it past two seasons. Maybe he makes it into a third. But if you told me that he came back for year four, I would be stunned. Stunned. Well, maybe if he comes back for year four, it's because the Texans are doing well. That I think that's the only way he comes back. 
And that would be awesome if that was the case. Oh, yeah. If in fact, if in fact David Cully is somehow this this hidden, this, this diamond in the rough that no one saw, and that the Texans actually get better faster than we think the, they th- than we think they will, that would be fantastic. But I mean, hey, are, are any of you guys holding your breath? I want nothing more than to see David Cully hoist that Lombardi. Yep. yep. That'd be like, but how funny would that be? It would be amazing. It would be funny on multiple levels. Like on multiple he's like, levels. He's like, man, I just won the Super Bowl yep. with the Texans. <laughs> like how Fitzpatrick is my quarterback. Just, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, what? What? I'll, I'll ask you this, Carlos. What are the chances that the Texans have a playoff berth before the 2024 season? Oh, okay. So you're giving me a. Give me a percentage. Roadway. Um, 2024, so that's one, two. Three. Yeah, four seasons. Okay. I'm saying. I'll give him a, a 20% chance. Wow. Okay. A 20% Jeremy? chance. I'm going to I'm gonna get – honestly, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to go with 40 because as long as Jacksonville doesn't run away with the division once Lawrence gets there, which – I'm still a little hesitant, although I do think out of if you if you were to ask me where I think who's going to win the division in 2024, I'd probably say the Jags right now. But okay, because at that point Lawrence will be in year four, and and all of these draft picks will will develop at this point. If, and if I don't if they are not winning the division in 2024, I don't think it's because of quarterback problems. There you go. I agree with that 100. percent But do you, I'll say this: Are you buying Urban Meyer? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think Urban Meyer will be gone by 2024. I think that's part right. of the reason why. Like, I think they're going to, um, you know, maybe they'll get, like, uh, maybe Joe Brady will be their next head coach. But maybe by the time Urban Meyer goes, maybe it'll be time for Joe Brady to go there. But yep. I will say this. I think I think the Texans have a 40% chance to be in the playoffs by 2024 because, I mean, you have to keep in consider. Like, I, I think by that point – They'll have a quarterback that they're they're happy with. Hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll either draft someone or because at this point they're gonna have their draft picks back. Um, hopefully, the the stench of Easterby will be of of mere memory, which I I would you would think by twenty twenty four would happen. Um, but granted, we thought we would, we'd be he would have been fired six months ago, mm-hmm. and yet that still hasn't happened. So I'm not gonna. I'm not going to believe Easterby's going to go until I see it. Okay. At this point, because you would think that at, given the choice between your franchise quarterback and one person in the front office, you'd go with your franchise quarterback. Yeah. That's obviously, you know, logic not the Texans' logic. Logic does But I do think – look, if you look at teams – if you look at – if you look at 2016 – if in 2016 the Browns, like the Browns, were had the number one pick in 2017, they made the playoffs four years later. So mm-hmm. it's doable. It is doable, and I and I think that's a good way to describe the Texans right now. It, it feels very Browns like. Mm-hmm. This team is feels very Browns like. They they have you know oh, this the incredible picks. stroke of just bad decisions and poor drafting and. You know, but they have talent here and there, but and someday they're gonna figure it out. And someday they did figure it out. And you know, 
the way the NFL shakes up and the way it is, I like the NFL because there's this sense of parity throughout the league. You know, your your team is not unless you are absolutely, you know, like the Browns, and that's a bad example, but if you're unless you're like terrible, then you're not gonna have a chance to compete. But with the seventh playoff spot, you know, there I think there's a chance the Texans will be in the playoffs, but I do think it's probably less than 50% because I do think they are very Browns-like and, you know, so I'm going to go 40, 40 for answer. Carlos, who is the, who is the Texans starting quarterback week one of the 2021 season? We definitely not Sean Watson. Uh, Agreed. I'll say he will be traded. So we'll have some draft capital. We will take it. We will take a rookie quarterback. Um, and frankly, I don't think the Texans are in the mood to develop a rookie quarterback. I think they'll throw him out there to start for better or for worse. And so we'll see any combination of put your name on it. Got to pick oh, one. Who's oh, I got to pick a rookie quarterback. Ooh, you got to okay. give me a name. Okay. Uh, Zach Wilson. Okay. Jeremy. Who's going to be the quarterback this year? Yep. Week one. The boat, Blake Bortles, <laughs> UCF, maybe. I, I had to go with it. That's my school right there. But honestly, like, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, Blake Bortles would be an idiot to sign here. But that's Blake Bortles for you. And, but like, think, think of that kind of thing. Alex Smith, another option. Probably a little bit more realistic for it to be Alex Smith, to be honest, over, over uh, Blake Bortles. But I wouldn't mind seeing Blake Like, if Blake Bortles was the starting quarterback, I might have some kind of affinity for the Texans this season. If he's not, if it's some, like, random, like, scrub, or maybe, look, if TJ Yates is the starting quarterback, then I'll be in all the Texans again. But I think that's not – I think I have as much of a chance to be the starting quarterback as TJ Yates does. So – we're gonna approach now. TJ's a I'm coach telling y'all, if Blake Bortles is the starting quarterback for the Texans this season, I will be buying a Bortles jersey and I will be the happiest Texans fan alive. I'll tell you that. I, I will make this pledge to you and we can memorialize it. Uh we, if Blake Bortles is signed by the Texans, I will buy you a Blake Bortles. Please Texas. do. Yes. Yes. Dundee. And this is recorded too. So I'm, I'm holding you to that, Tim. Dundee. I'm holding you to I, that. I promise and you that. I'm going to hit up. He doesn't even have to start. He, if no, he, if he doesn't. sign him, it's a done deal. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to I'm gonna call my connection, make sure this happens. I'm going to I'm gonna hit up Nick Casario and be like, Yo, you gotta get Blake here. You gotta Done. get him here. Oh yeah, but I don't I, I have his number blocked. Oh, okay. All right. I, Patrick, I don't Patrick, if, if I have his number, I have it blocked. Okay, Patrick, you just joined the chat. Before I ask you this question, I'm gonna remind people um if you are uh willing, if you're able, um we certainly don't want your money. But if you could make a donation to any charity that you feel that you feel is uh, suitable, that would be awesome. But if you're looking for any to specifically target, we'd love it if you could donate to the Cancer Research Institute, uh, the J.J. Watt Foundation, or the Deshaun Watson Foundation. Any three of those or anything that you're comfortable donating, whether it be amount or to any organization, anything you can do to help anyone would be much appreciated. 
It'll all go directly to a good cause. Uh, it would be awesome if you could do that. That's sort of an underlying reason that we're doing this 24-hour chat, aside from the fact that the pain lets us know we're alive. Um, so, Patrick, let me ask you this. Who will be the Texans' starting quarterback week one of the 2021 season? Case Austin Keenum. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's my second See, If you can put up a UCF guy, I could put up a UH guy, by God. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Because um, that's my alma mater. Greg, that's that's fine. Uh, I think I think those are all in play, which is a sad state of affairs. Uh, my money would be on Tua. I think Tua is probably starting for you. Ooh. Yeah, that's probably more realistic. You can you can hate it. You can be uncomfortable with it. I wouldn't disagree with those opinions, but uh, I think that he's the most likely candidate to be the starting quarterback for the Texans in Week One. Um, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, it, 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 no one likes it, but I think that's – I still think that it's the most likely scenario that they trade Deshaun to Miami on or before uh, the first day of the draft. And then it's just going to be a question of what else they got in addition to Tua uh, in that deal. Um, I'll, I asked these two guys this, and I'll ask you this as well. Who uh, – Jacksonville calls and says, we want Deshaun Watson – they say what it's gonna t- what's it gonna take? You pick up the phone because uh, Nick Casario is braiding Jack Easterby's hair. What do you tell them? Well, first of all, what hair? Right. Se- second of all, um, I know he's bald, so I'll let yeah. you decide what hair. <laughs> Although lately, I'm not one to criticize. Right. So right, right. Um, for me, and I know it's not rational, but I this is a once in a generation quarterback. This is not a time for rationality. I'm going to say I want their entire draft for the next year plus a first-round pick next year. Okay, and they say no. Yeah, so that's they, right. So, so then they say no. So you're getting the first overall pick. You're getting Trevor Lawrence on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. You want something in addition to that. You're not getting our whole draft. What else is it going to take? What else are you going to make? What else What else can we reasonably give to you if I'm the Jaguars? Hmm. Three ones and two twos, I guess, to start. I mean, that's to start. I'd probably go a little higher than that. But so one of, those ones is, one of those ones is Trevor Lawrence, who I think is widely considered the best collegiate quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. And you're making me give you two other ones? No, three other ones in that. I'm sorry. I should have been clear. Oh, okay. So when I say no, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I bring you down a little bit more, um, what is your walk-away number? Walk-away trade. I guess what I said before, the Trevor Lawrence, two ones and two twos. Okay. It, do, do the two ones have to be in this Hello. year's draft? One, one, and then Jacksonville has another another first-round pick in the 20s. I, I didn't catch any of that. You caught you oh, uh, I'm dropped off for a second there. I'm sorry. So, so Jacksonville has two first-round picks this year. They've got the first overall pick, and then they've got mm-hmm. another one in the 20s that they got uh, in the Jalen Ramsey trade from the Rams. So are you telling me that that you said you want three ones? Are two of those ones mm-hmm. in the 2021 draft? Or are you gonna if I'm Jacksonville, are you gonna let me keep my my first round pick in the 20s this year and then say I want 2022 and 2023? Hmm. All right. This changes the calculus a little bit because I didn't realize they had a second first round pick this year. They do. I could have known that, but um like 26, hmm. I think. 
Yeah, I think Jeremy's right. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so the sounds, first overall pick. That sounds about right. So number one, number 26 this year, and then one other first-round pick, presumably next year? Uh, well, you figure if they get Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be pretty – if they get Deshaun Watson, they're probably going to be the playoffs the following year. So Maybe. Yeah, I think I'd probably go with that just because I think they're on an upward track with once they get Watson. Okay. I hate the idea of training within the division, but you know if it's if the deal was right and you got obviously you have to rebuild. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's about the if that's what you're going if that's the best deal on the table, you'd be a fool not to take it. Okay, so so trading in the division is not a deal killer to you if it's the best deal if it's the best deal you can make. I mean, I, I would prefer if it blew him out of the water. Yeah, but I mean if it's like if it's like a one or if it's like one's close to the other, I'm probably going to go for the one that's outside the division. Sure, 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 sure. Um, okay. Well, I think this is my shift. I think my shift is over, so I'm going to clock out. Um, I will leave it to you three gentlemen to uh, take things forward. I know that there will be other people joining throughout the night. I think I'm supposed to check back in tomorrow afternoon at some point, and then I'll be on at the, the last bit. So appreciate talking with all of you. It was a lot of fun. Same here, man. Godspeed, boy. Later, Timothy. Later, boss. So how are we doing tonight? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.